Welcome back to Ayal's Geography Corner, your bridge to the rest of the world. Today we'll be taking a look at Angola, an oil juggernaut home to Africa's fastest growing economy. So let's cut straight to the chase and find out from where Angola gets its name. Thankfully, Angola's etymological roots are nowhere near as hard to find as Andorra's. The nation, which goes by the official title of the Republic of Angola, derives its name from the name of its former Portuguese colonial state, Reino de Angola, which translates to Kingdom of Angola. This, in turn, got its name from the word Angola, a title held by the rulers of the semi-autonomous region of the Kingdom of Congo, known as Ndongo. That almost felt too easy compared to last week. Anyways, on to the flag. The flag of Angola consists of a horizontal bicolor background with a gold machete, half of a gear, and a star emblazoned upon its center. The red symbolizes the blood spilled during the country's independence conflicts, the black on the bottom symbolizes Africa, and the gold appears to be an homage to the similar color scheme of the Soviet flag. In fact, the entire design of the centerpiece is an homage to the iconic hammer and sickle design. The machete represents peasantry, the gear represents the industrial workers, and the star symbolizes socialism. Nice and simple flag, so now let's move on to the much more complicated national emblem. Angola's national emblem can be most easily summed up as a bordered blue circle with a white book in front of it and a yellow and red banner in front of that book. That's boring though, so let's dig a little deeper. The banner had the words Republica de Angola written across it, the name of the country in Portuguese, and the white book represents education. The circle is bordered on the left by corn and cotton, symbolizing agriculture, and on the right by half of a silver cog, again representing the industrial workers. At the bottom is an orange sun rising, representing a new beginning, and at the top is a star representing both socialism and national progress. Finally, in the middle of it all is a hoe crossed over by a machete, symbolizing the importance of farmers and the revolution for Angolan independence, respectively. So let's talk a bit about this independence war, as well as more of the nation's history. In the earliest years, the region was inhabited entirely by hunter-gatherer peoples, predominantly the Khoi and San peoples. That was before the Bantus arrived. Swelling in from the north, the Bantus drove people out of their land and took it as their own. Many powerful Bantu nations would spring up here, the most notable being the Kingdom of Congo. This land would eventually prove too valuable to be left alone by the Europeans, and the Portuguese started founding colonial outposts in the region in the 15th century, starting with the city of Soyo in the north. Today, it's the northernmost settlement in Angola that's not part of Cabinda. From here, the Portuguese slowly expanded their control further inland, until eventually their expansion was stopped from border friction. Unfortunately, like many African colonies at the time, Angola became something of a trading center for the European slave trade. After a short-lived occupation of the capital by the Dutch, Angola's borders solidified themselves permanently, and also included the often-overlooked Third Congo, Portuguese Congo, now the exclave of Cabinda. What follows is decades of bloody conflict, marked by a steep rise in socialist sympathies across the nation, eventually leading to the defeat of the Portuguese and Angolan independence finally being proclaimed. Not too long after this, Marxist ideologies were thrown out in favor of democratic elections. Angola has since then been ravaged by horrendous civil wars, notably in the somewhat separatist exclave of Cabinda. As a result, Angola has an incredibly high concentration of landmines, and it isn't safe to venture into many parts of the country. And this brings us nicely into where we are today. So let's once more talk about the most important part of any nation, its people. Angola has a population of around 25 to 30 million people, depending on your source, and is incredibly ethnically diverse. Almost a quarter of the population is Ovimbundu at 25.4%, with Mbundu right behind at 23.1%, Congo at 12.6%, not to be confused with the country, the Kingdom of Congo, Luena at 8.2%, Chokwe at 5%, Kwanyama at 4.1%, 
Nyaneka at 3.9%, Luchazi at 2.3%, and Ovambo at 2%. The remaining 13.6% is made up of a mix of other ethnic groups, some of which are predominantly found nowhere else in the world. These people use the Type-C power outlet, have the Kwanzaa as their currency, not to be confused with the holiday of Kwanzaa. Angola also has the .ao top-level domain, drives on the right side of the road, and their national anthem is Angola Avante, or Onwards Angola in English. And just as a side note, you should give their anthem a listen. It's just heaven to the ears. Their national motto is Virtus Unita Fortior, or Virtue is Stronger When United. Interestingly, but not uniquely, this is in Latin and not Portuguese, the almost legacy language of the country, and one of the four national languages alongside Umbundu, Kimbundu, and Kikongo. The religious makeup of Angola is primarily Christian, with 41% of the population being Roman Catholic, 38% Protestant, 8% irreligious, 1% animist, and 8% following some other form of religion. Angola is very religiously open, with small communities of Muslims, Jews, Hindus, and Baha'is. The population is split about in half between rural and urban residents, with a slightly larger amount of people living rurally. Angola is also known for being a very expensive place to live, especially in the capital. Why is it so expensive? Let's find out. Big surprise, the answer is oil. Angola struck black gold in the 60s and hasn't looked back since. More than half of this oil is concentrated in the regions in what is known as Cabinda, which I talked about previously. Cabinda is what's known as an exclave, a portion of land cut off from the rest of the country, which is not to be confused with an enclave, which are themselves a form of exclaves that are entirely surrounded by another country. Now, this doesn't mean that, for instance, Hawaii is an exclave, because it's not. Islands tend to be non-regarded as exclaves, but to be fair, the rules on what is and isn't an exclave tend to get kind of fuzzy. Cabinda, however, is neither an island nor an enclave, so we don't have to worry about that here. Cabinda has historically been a colony of Portugal, which was given the completely original name of Portuguese Congo. Portuguese Congo was the only one of the three main European Congo colonies not to receive full independence, and was instead integrated into Angola, and was actually the only one of the three not to actually touch the Congo River. Angola's coast is covered with a vast semi-desert region, which widens as it moves southward. Also in the south is the highlands region, full of rocks, steppes, and hills. The interior is primarily dominated by a dense rainforest, although sadly it's now far less dense than it was before. The nation is very rich in minerals, such as uranium and diamonds, and is just packed with oil in the north. Many plants and animals cohabit these lands, with Angola's ecosystem being comparable to a scaled-down Amazon rainforest. But in such a varied landscape, how can one know how much of this land is really Angolan, and where even is Angola? For starters, Angola is a Lusophone nation located in the western half of sub-Saharan Africa. It borders the Democratic Republic of the Congo in the north, Zambia in the east, Namibia in the south, the Atlantic Ocean in the west, and the Republic of the Congo via Cabinda in the northwest. The capital of Angola is Luanda, one of, if not the most, expensive city to live in in the world. Angola is divided up into 18 provinces, 162 municipalities, and 559 communes. Their nation is rather large as well, with a total land area of roughly 1,246,700 square kilometers, or 481,400 square miles. So, let's wrap things up by talking about Angola's allies. Angola is part of many international organizations, such as the UN, OPEC, and the African Union. But that doesn't mean their international relations aren't strenuous. Angola acted similar to Vietnam during both of their civil wars, serving as proxy wars of the USSR's sphere of influence versus the West, and interestingly, in Angola's case at least, China, 
who took the side against the Soviets. The USSR still won though, just like Vietnam, and even after ending socialism in the nation, this tearing between two completely different ideologies has made international relations somewhat difficult, except for maybe China. In fact, Angola is China's number one oil exporter, recently surpassing Saudi Arabia to claim that title, in exchange for massive infrastructure projects. Despite all this, Angola still gets along better with its fellow Lusophone countries of Brazil and Portugal, as they both impacted the country on a historical level for hundreds of years. And just as we're wrapping up here, I want to clarify that Lusophone countries are countries that speak Portuguese, just as Francophone countries are countries that speak French. So in conclusion, Angola is kind of like a war veteran, finally coming home from a large conflict, decorated with medals and paycheck in hand, only to be greeted by social stigma and left with very few people that they can consider their friends. Stay tuned for Antigua and Barbuda next Sunday at 10am Pacific Standard Time, and until then, this is Al bringing you back to your regularly scheduled broadcasting.